Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 137 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, the doctor is in. Yes, the truth doctor. Dr. Courtney Tracy is in the house. She is running us through her experience and her journey with addiction and drugs and alcohol and how that propelled her to proceed in her career as a doctor. Not only just a doctor, though, she is a truth doctor who is going to drop some truth bombs on us today. This is such a fantastic conversation. Let's get into it. Hello, Dr. Courtney Tracy. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on here. Right now, I just finished eating a bagel and an apple. And one thing I can tell you is that I think that I, like, I recall like in college drinking just heavily and somebody putting a bagel and an apple in front of me and me just like gagging at the sight of food. And now it feels really good. Like, you know, waking up and I'm like, oh, I can put like this healthy shit in my body. And it's like, that's a, a one up from not getting fucked up the night before. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. oh, my God, what what is this? Like, I'm fr- like flourishing and nourishing my body. Like, <laughs> right. oh, my God, go figure. This <laughs> is a new concept. I love it. Um, so, Dr. Courtney, if I can call you that doctor. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're the truth doctor and I love, you know, your, your videos on Instagram, TikTok, you know, you, you give us the truth. You are there calling us out on our shit. Um, and I, I want to talk, you know, more about that and your show and everything you have going on. Cause you've got a lot, you're a little powerhouse. <laughs> I love it. Um, but before we kind of get into that, I would kind of like to know, you know, your backstory and we're kind of you know, chatting about it, um, previously, but your kind of relationship to recovery and drugs and your past and what that looks like for you. And, you know, we were talking about labels and this kind of gray scale, like, 
am I an addict? Am I not an addict? Like, when does this become, when do labels, I guess, help or hinder us, right? Yeah. In, in our relationship with substances. So I would love to know your backstory um, with uh, your drugs of choice and, mm-hmm. and recovery and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been a long fucking journey, to say the least, (laughs) (laughs) which I feel like many people feel the same way when they've had years, you know, one day of drinking or using can feel like a year, you Mm -hmm. know, looking back on it. But, you know, I grew up in a multi-generational, multi-cultural household Mm. in poverty, um, but in affluent Orange County. So it was like, a, it was actually really confusing. Um, and my dad wasn't really in my life. He did drugs a lot and drank a lot. He was 19 when I was born and he had already been, he already got his GED and was like out just working in the workforce and like drinking and using for three years at least. Um, my mom didn't really drink. I lived in my, in my grandparents' house. My grandpa drank beer every single day. So I like had, I like, I knew that drugs and alcohol were a thing. Like I saw my grandpa drink like, you know, eight beers a night and they're like, oh, it's just this like colored water. And I'm like, well, he gets more angry as he drinks this colored water. Like it's, oh, it's wow. not water. Yeah. So it's fire water. Was, right. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. So like I was introduced to like the concept of ingesting substances to change your whatever people were trying to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and I first had, I had my first sip of champagne, like for new year's Eve when I was like 10 and I'm like, spit it out right away. Who the fuck drinks this? How can you drink this? This is so disgusting. I got it from my aunt and she was like, it's so good. And she was drinking a lot at the time. So I was like, so confused. I'm like, I don't understand. It tastes like shit. You're saying it's water. It's not water. Yeah. So at 13, I really wanted to try to like leave the household like and I obviously couldn't do that because I was 13 I could but I didn't but I left it mentally so I started hanging out with older people started like trying to like drink with them they were like 17 18 Mm -hmm. and um didn't really dabble too much into it started smoking weed super heavily at 14 15 once I became a freshman and when I became a sophomore uh, my now husband, I met him all the way back then when I was 15. No way. And we've been together for 16 years. And <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, it's cool. But it was like a very rough start. So I met sure. him. I had only drank or smoked weed. And he was, I guess, doing, you know, doing meth, doing cocaine, doing mm. all of these psychedelics and all stuff. And I didn't know in the beginning. And then one day his best friend pulled out like this huge, uh, like Ziploc bag. And I'm like, what is this? It was just like white, white powder Whoa. and, or it wasn't white powder. It was actually clear powder. And they were like, oh, we were trying to buy cocaine. And this guy sold us this entire bag for $150, but it was actually methamphetamine. So it was half a sandwich bag full of methamphetamine for only $150 given to 15 year olds. And it lasted four or five of us like six months. So I was just doing straight meth like all night long in my room with my boyfriend and his friends for like six months when I was a sophomore in high school, along with like pills and all the psychedelics, just everything, just doing everything, smoking cigarettes, doing it all. Yeah. I went to rehab. Wow. But I at 15, but I 
But, but the thing is, is I wasn't, I was not addicted. I was not addicted. Let me explain. Okay. I did it for six months, Yeah. but I never craved it. If I didn't have it, I didn't need it. It didn't affect my school. Didn't affect my work. I, I was doing it to fit in and I never became physiologically or psychologically addicted to the substance. I just did it all the time. But I wouldn't have withdrawal. I didn't experience tolerance. I didn't have cravings. And, and I'm coming and I'm saying this now as an addiction expert. Right. <laughs> like I truly was not addicted to any substances when, when I sent myself to rehab for the first time. I sent myself there for two weeks over winter break to intentionally get the title of drug addict in my school because I didn't have a label. I didn't fit in anywhere I wanted to be known as something. And my mom was really into the breakfast club. And so they all had their like identities, the jock, the princess, the drug addict, the, the brainiac. The, and I'm like, this is going to be me. I'm going to go. People are going to wonder where I'm at over winter break. And then I'm going to have this cool story to come back. It was really fucked up, actually. Like it was so messed up. So I came back and like, obviously I hadn't been cured. You did it for clout, like legit. I really did. It was so insane. It was like truly, truly like insane. It was like me trying to put off this perception onto other people when I had no idea, like the seriousness. It's like, I I didn't realize at 15, my dad was not in my life because he was actually doing meth and doing cocaine and was addicted to it and getting DUIs and going to jail and doing all this stuff. And I had no idea that I was putting myself at risk. I was putting myself at risk for taking in these substances as a teenager. I had no idea what was in them. I had no idea. But anyway, so I go to rehab. I come out. Obviously, I'm not cured because there's nothing to cure. And so I'm like, oh, well, now that I have this label, I'm going to keep using. So I used more, started doing like ecstasy every day. And then I started to realize that I was losing my identity. So I still wasn't psychologically or physically addicted. I could stop at any time and did all the time. And and it wasn't affecting my life. I got good grades. I had my relationship, my family, like everything was going fine. Mm -hmm. And then I found my way into college (laughs) and still, you know, things are going well. I'm like, whatever. And then I started, you know, me and my boyfriend started having, you know, we've had breaks and things like that, which caused me to kind of go on binges. And that's when I first started realizing, wait a minute. And now I'm not going to school because I'm drinking. Oh, now I'm not going to school. Yeah. Then my first boyfriend passed away my very first one when he was 20 and I was 20 and I'd actually broken up with my boyfriend for a little bit who's now my husband and I got back together with this ex-boyfriend okay. and he passed away like within three weeks um oh. it was super hard so I went in this massive spiral mm-hmm. and that's when I think my substance use was the worst because I had, I had dropped out of school. I had left my boyfriend. I was homeless, but just, I was, you know, sleeping on friends' couches and stuff. Cause I left college. Right. So that's when I like first started becoming bad. And that's actually when like the opioid epidemic hit Orange County pretty badly. Yeah. And I lost like 12 to 15 friends in like a year. Holy shit. A lot. It was like insane. And I keep using the word insane. It's like, I know insane and crazy is like, it's a stigmatized word, but like, I mean it, I'm, I don't mean it. Like, I mean it based off of a situation. I don't call people that, but situations can be crazy. Situations can, can be insane. And this truly was. So then I'm like, okay, I may not have ever been physiological, physiologically or psychologically addicted, 
But so many of my friends are. They tried to stop. They couldn't. They gained increased tolerance. They tried to stop. They've used they used once they overdosed. It's like they were in this physiological pattern of like, yeah, I can't stop. Yeah, I can't stop. And I don't realize that my life is falling apart around me. So that's why I majored in addiction. And you can't, I can't necessarily major in addiction in college, but I focused all of my psychology courses, all my essays, all my, you know, my master's degree theses that I had to do in each specific class, not the major one. Yeah. And that's why when I went to go get my doctorate, as I had opened up my own treatment center, I focused my dissertation on why, because I even had my own treatment center. Why is the relapse rate for people that are psychologically or physiologically addicted? Why is it 60 to 80%? Like, yeah, why, why, like, why is that? Even with completed treatment, successful completed right. treatment. Yeah. And what I found in the research was that, that people lacked purpose and they lacked meaning. And a lot of the times in like the treatments, like, you know, CBT for addiction, it's like, there are way more issues than just the thoughts that are going on in, in our heads when we're dealing with these types of issues. So what I found was like compassion-based interventions, mindfulness-based interventions, they were missing. They weren't covered by insurance. They were missing from treatment. And so I infused those into my own treatment center and had really incredible success rates long-term year plus, because we track up to a year Yeah. after they leave. And so I was you, thinking, sorry, can I ask you one? I don't mean to interrupt, but no, what do you, what do you mean by like, um, like compassion based, like interventions or like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So in the past, a lot of the main interventions used in addiction were like contingency management. So okay. like, I'll give you a gift like card all sober for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then also so basically like, um, conditional, like exactly. conditional love. Right. And it's like bullshit. Yeah. And I, you know, in, in, in a lot of other treatments that I saw, like my friends go into, it was like, oh, you're an addict. Like you're a piece of shit. Yeah. And I'm going to treat you like a piece of shit until you have 90 days. And then I'll start to treat you like maybe you're a human being. And I did. I saw that in lots of places. Insane. And, and so I don't know why I'm like attached to that word today. Um, (laughs) Because it is probably, um, but yeah, so compassion based is like immediately seeing the person as a human being, not as an addict, not as an alcoholic. And I really feel like that goes missing a lot of the time. And mindfulness is like becoming aware, obviously, of your mind. Um, But what's interesting is so many programs lack that. Mm -hmm. They just lack the compassion for the person and the pain. It's a lot of like what Dr. Uh, Gabor Mate says, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain. But that doesn't usually happen. You know, you learn the reason for your addiction, like oh, your parents or your job or your lack of coping skills. Mm-hmm. But but the part that goes missing, and this is what I wrote my dissertation on, is so what did that do to you as an actual person? Because you're not what caused your addiction and you're not your addiction. You're the person that overcame the causes of your addiction and are trying to now overcome the addiction we miss the human part of it's a human that is using substances. It's not just that we need to remove the substances. We need to really truly take a look at the human being beneath them. Mm. 
I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com A-S-G-G today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G. And so, yeah, I think that that contributes to the 60 to 80% relapse rate. It's like you don't see them as a human being for soon enough. You don't teach them what that means. And I think that's why I never became so, just to kind of wrap up my really long spiel, I think like why I never became seriously physiologically or psychologically addicted is because I I always had the ability to realize that the life that I grew up in and like the lessons that I learned as a child were going to take me somewhere. I never wanted to numb myself enough to lose myself. Like I always had, it's like, I have a purpose. I have meaning shit's really hard right now, but I'm, I'm not going to lose myself. I didn't even know that I had that until I figured it out way down the line. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just said a lot and I'm a little bit jumbled. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, that's so interesting. I've never, I mean, it sounds like even when you were, you were like going to rehab for clout, it sounds like, you know, like one of your, your needs wasn't being met, you know, like that attention need, like we all need attention, right? We we just, it just is, it's nothing to be like ashamed about. It's a freaking need. Mm -hmm. And so like, we do kind of like some weird whack shit to get attention <laughs> yes we do <laughs> yeah um wow that's really interesting that's, that's really cool that you could realize that and like are able to operate from that place and then turn it around and help other people mm-hmm. it's really powerful Thanks. so tell me about um the truth doctor and how that kind of came to fruition when you change your relationship with alcohol you realize you have so many hours in the day I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. 
Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean, vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. Yes. Well, (laughs) I think part of my... You know, people are like, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm an empath. I'm a, you know, I haven't looked too much into those, those things because they seem like labels to me. And, but, but my whole life, based on the environment that I grew up in, they often say that you are that way because of trauma, like the ability Mm -hmm. to see other people and what's going on for them. And throughout the course of my life growing up, I was, there were so many things said outwardly that were incongruent with what was really going on inside each person or inside our family. So I was forced to be able to differentiate between what people were saying and doing and what the hell was really going on. Mm. And so I developed this, yeah, this perception ability and to, to essentially see into people's unconscious, like I know what the fuck's actually going on. Yeah. And then, you know, and then after 12 years of higher education, it's like, now I really fucking know what's actually going on, like in your brain and in your body. Like I can tell you haven't slept. I can tell you're jealous. I can tell like you're sad, but you're acting mad. I can tell all of the things. Right. Um, and so what I came to realize is that, and, and the way I get through life, because people are fucked up there really are just some fucked up people but we're all a little bit fucked up and that's part of what I mean when I when I call myself the truth doctor is we all are essentially living unconsciously we don't realize it but we are our brain literally functions in many ways unconsciously to get us through the day Mm -hmm. and that we all have this like core internal truth of who we would really be if we removed all of the conditions that created the character that we think that we are, but we're not. So the truth doctor is, is the caricature of this statement that the truth is a doctor. And the more that you find your own truth and uncover all of those layers, the more that you find that, like I said earlier, you're not what caused your addiction and you're not your addiction. You are the person that survived all those causes and the person that's trying to overcome this addiction that you now have. And that's just using it in the addiction framework. It could be applied to anything, anxiety, trauma, depression. So what I try to do using my platform is to one, get people to be honest and share their truth. Like 
If you were to tell me at 16 that I was going to have to tell everybody that I knew that at 15, I went to rehab to be fucking cool. I would never (laughs) tell them. I would never tell them. And that, and because, but it's like, once you just say it, like then it, the power becomes taken away. And it's like, is that like, would I ever do that again? No, of course not. I was 15 years old and I know how serious addiction is. And it's in, it's crazy that I did that, but it's important that I share that. But because it's like, I say something uncomfortable. I see something that people wouldn't normally want to say. And as a therapist to say that I have past drug and alcohol use issues, that mm-hmm. I have borderline personality disorder, that I have really severe anxiety, people are like, oh, and I have my shit together. And I built one of the best mental health and substance use treatment centers in Santa Barbara. I worked at one of the top ones in Malibu for three and a half years with like six promotions or something like that. And I have 12 years of higher education uh, and I still have severe anxiety. I'm still trying to figure out my relationship with alcohol and marijuana and all those others. I do not do methamphetamine anymore. <laughs> like, not a, it's not a normal thing to do <laughs> at all. But it's just yeah. about being your authentic self and not being afraid to show up and doing it in a way where it's like, Oh, she, she has a license. I can't believe she's talking about this. Yeah. Because if they come over and try to take my license away, then more people than already, than already do are going to know my name because you cannot do that. Yeah. You can't take away my license for having severe anxiety. You can't take away my license for having borderline personality disorder. If it's affecting my work. Sure. Yeah. But if it's not go ahead and try, because what does that say? What does that say to all the clients that are getting treated for mild substance use? What does that say to the clients getting treated for borderline personality disorder or anxiety or whatever? It's saying you're unsafe to help other people. And that's just not true. So I come here with all of those truths in one little on all these little platforms. Oh, my God. I love that. That's so freaking powerful. Thank you. Like, seriously, like that is so brave of you. You know, I think we're all, we all have these little things that we're, we don't even admit to ourselves. Like it's, oh, what, what what would you suggest like someone listening who is like, you know, wants to be authentic, like wants to step into the truth and wants to like face the music, so to speak. Mm -hmm. What is like one little piece of advice or something that they could maybe do like right now to like try and help like unlock those truths within themselves. Yeah. I think the main part, the main suggestion would be to, well, 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 (laughs) I'm I'm coming out with the book. I'm coming out with the book. Okay. Your unconscious is showing. It won't be out for about a year, but this book will dive extremely deep and give you the psychoeducation that you need to do exactly what I'm about to say. Mm. What I'm about to say is like, see where your unconscious is showing, but what does that look like when you don't have the manual to know how the fuck to do that? Yeah. So you start by, by realizing that when you were put on this planet, you knew nothing. Mm. And uh, most of the ideas that you have accumulated in your mind came from somewhere or someone else. And oftentimes when we're building our personality and we're building our belief systems and the things that we think are safe or unsafe, healthy or unhealthy, they're rooted in other people's beliefs that they got from other people's beliefs that they got from. And it's just this giant concoction of like fuckery that makes enough sense for us to get by every day. But often a lot of the behavior patterns, belief systems and feelings that we have are not necessarily ours. 
but they are rooted and they're in our minds and they're in our bodies unconsciously. And those are the things that are making our choices for us. Right. We really are rarely conscious unless we're actively engaging in consciousness, increasing activities. So it's to ask yourself, how is my unconscious showing? And also how is it formed? So if you find yourself getting really angry as an example, like you drink or you're, you, you know, you drink when you're angry or you're sober, but you're realizing your anger is coming up more and you're worried that you're going to relapse or something like that. Yeah. Where did this anger come from? Who, who was the first person that showed me that anger was a, a, a good solution, like explosive anger, inappropriate anger was a good way to yeah. handle the world and handle my emotions. And do you like that person? Was that helpful? Did you get to decide if you were going to integrate that anger into who you are? Or did it just happen naturally because you were young? So it's like, I could answer that question right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Holy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's just anger. And it's like, what's your relationship with money? If you're like addicted to gambling or like, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. how is your unconscious showing? And the way that you, you have to pause because you're unconscious and I don't mean it in the spiritual way. I mean, literally the unconscious parts of your brain, the unconscious parts of your body, they function faster than the conscious parts of your brain and body. So slow down oh, yeah. and ask yourself, where did this come from? Who did this come from? Whatever it is. And then you'll get some agency back and you can make a better decision about what you want to do next. Yeah. Oh, dude, definitely slow <laughs> down. Yeah. Cause you're, you just like, it's that's so true I can even like even yesterday I I totally (laughs) flew off the handle like at this dude in my parking garage like I don't even know where this anger came from Mm -hmm. like it was just like it was like a gunshot like so quickly like it just went off and I went from like zero to a hundred I'm like excuse me (laughs) Who the hell are you? And why did you just come up in this situation? Right. Oh my God. That's so, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have one more question about like the unconscious and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Does shame play a part in your unconscious at all? Like, or how would that, would, would shame trigger your unconscious and, and, and some of these decisions? Like, what do you think the correlation is there? Yeah. I mean, Shame isn't natural mm-hmm. and like, it's not a natural emotion. Like we experience shame interpersonally. Mm-hmm. So I think, but the shame can be unconscious from past experiences where people like wanted you to feel shame or where shame came up because of expectations said or unsaid. Okay. But I think that shame can also be happening in the present moment. Like you can be con- like you can, somebody can be consciously shaming you or you can be consciously shaming yourself. Yeah. But overall, I think that shame, you know, like I fucking, I hate when people are like, shame on you. It's like, fuck you. (laughs) What do you mean? Like, that's so disrespectful. You know, like if you disagree with me, fine, but shame can kill people and shame can ruin people's low self-esteem and shame. Like we should, we don't need to feel shame. Like, just tell me your opinion. And then like, you know, why are you trying to make me feel like this, this feeling? I don't really like it, but yeah, I think Mm -hmm. The more that people tell the truth, though, and get some of the responses that mm-hmm. that they're hoping for, the less shame I think that they'll experience down the line because it will start to break down those unconscious beliefs that 
if I do this or if I say that, if I am my true authentic self, people are going to hate me, which is what I was like a lot in the past. But if you get like slowly those experiences of people, like even accepting you and they disagree with you instead of being like, shame on you, then you start to rewire those pathways and, and find more confidence in being authentic and saying things that you may be afraid to say because you don't want to be ashamed of them. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Thanks. Uh, thanks for working that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Miss Courtney, where can we find you? Where can we find the truth doctor? At the truth And I have a lot of products coming out soon. I have. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Out. Tell me, tell me about the products. Yeah. So I have a, the book your unconscious is showing. I have a YouTube show called the truth doctor show. I have a podcast called the truth doctor podcast. Um, I have a game coming out. I don't really want to call it a game, but technically it is mm-hmm. that will help people that have depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction. They're all different additions. So the addiction one will be coming out probably end of 2022. Um, like a card game or a board game or what? Like a little mix of both, I guess. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Maybe okay. Parents and kids or friends and friends or partners that are romantic with one another. Yeah. Um, and then I have a TV show coming out soon. I don't know what network yet, but what? I can't say anything but that, but okay, sometime okay. next year. <laughs> Dope. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. That's huge. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, and then of course, like social media, like Instagram. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, duh. <laughs> I should be better at this. Yeah. So just um, Instagram and TikTok at the period truth period doctor. Awesome. Awesome. Miss <laughs> uh, doctor, what one piece of advice to anyone kind of listening right now uh, who's maybe going through recovery or kind of dealing with uh, substance abuse? What is one piece of advice you could give them? Yeah, this is a good question. So I am not completely sober. And my advice, even not being completely sober, to anybody sober or thinking about getting sober is just just consider this statement or the suggestion. Don't use if you have anything to run from. Mm. So I'm not totally sober. I take year like I stop. Mm-hmm. And I don't do anything the moment that something happens in my life that I may want to run from because I don't want my brain or my body to attach to ease using these substances, using right, alcohol. Right. I just use alcohol and marijuana. Obviously, like I said, I used to use a lot more, but that's my piece of advice is for anybody that's sober curious or that's trying to do moderation or that's not trying to do full abstinence. Yeah. Do not use if you have something to run from because your brain and body will attach to that shit. And eventually it could become out of your control to say yes or no to masking your pain through substances. Whoa. That is awesome advice. Thank you. I love that. I've never, I've never heard that before. I've never had anyone articulate um, that before. That's so cool. Thanks. Yeah. That's what I use. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, uh, Truth Doctor, thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience and your knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. That Truth Doctor, Dr. Courtney is such a badass. 
thank you so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, subscribe to the podcast. We love to hear your feedback. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girl's Guide. And don't forget to check out the blog. Coming soon, A Sober Girl's Guide Academy is opening its doors. And if you are a sober entrepreneur, this is going to be your go-to place. We have everything from templates, from courses. Want to start your own podcast? Head to a sobergirlsguide.com. We got you covered. Literally in sober girl swag from hoodies, crew necks, your sober girl t-shirts. We've got you. Wear your sobriety loud and proud. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.